Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. For those that are new or are visiting as you came to see somebody get dedicated, I am Pastor Daniel, and I get the honor and the privilege of sharing with you guys tonight. And we're going to talk about the hardest part of parenting. I I thought long and hard about this, but I came to a conclusion that the hardest part of parenting is actually not a unique problem to parenting. It's a problem that all of us face. It's just what makes parenting the hardest. And I I have, uh, what's the right way to say this? My children may take after me, so there is, there is plenty of challenges that come in parenting. Um, they came wired with my energy, but in a mini body, with a full load of energy in the mini body, which means lots and lots. But I was like, well, what is, what is the hardest part? And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, I think the hardest part of parenting is that it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Like if you had to parent only for an hour, it wouldn't be that hard. And then I thought, you know what? I think that's why grandparents love it. (laughs) Grandparents get like parenting in little doses. It's like, all right, I I did it and now I'm tired. So take them back. Hey, I'm having fun. I'm parenting. Now it stinks. Take it back and you can change it and I'll take it back when you're done. Like there's, if we could parent like grandparents, it would just be easy. And there'd still be some challenges and conversations you'd have to have. But the hardest part is that, and especially if you've got these little ones, you're like, I dealt with them all day, and then at night, they still wanted care. And then the next day came, and I didn't get a day off. And you're like, hey, you know what? Hey, I did it all week. And then the weekend came, and I was ready to sleep in. But they told me I'd get to sleep in in about a dozen years when the kid was ready to sleep in. Like, it's this idea that it's not a sprint. And if you're not familiar with a marathon, that term, it's a long distance foot race. Uh, a marathon is 26, I think it's 26.2 or 26.3 miles. Um, and that's 26.2. And then they have ultra marathons, which are for people who are missing a few marbles. Um, no, like it's not, it, it's not. It's just people that are incredibly, insanely intense and driven. Uh, I, I do some stuff with iFit and one of the iFit trainers just completed or actually just set a new record for the girls in the Badwater Ultramarathon. It was a 135-mile race on foot. And you're like, what on earth? But you don't run that the same as a 50-yard dash. Like a 50-yard dash, you're just like, all right, there's the finish line. Just, just give it all I got and just go and it's done. But you got to know that you're in this for a long haul if you're in one of these. And the thing is in life, Our problems, our challenges, they don't all come like sprints. And it'd be nice if they did. If it was like, all right, hey, what's your problem? Hey, I got to face this. I'm going to sprint this. And in 30 seconds, in a minute, it's going to be done. I'm like, uh, one of the iFit trainers says this all the time. They're like, I say it all the time. If you use the same video, they say the same thing all the time. So, (laughs) but makes this comment. You can do anything for a minute. Just before they tell you to do something you're not going to want to do, they're like, don't worry. You can do anything for a minute. And they have a good point. You can. 
or like within physics, like there's some limitations there, but you can push through about anything for a short amount of time. But what about when your problem isn't over in a minute? What about when the challenge lasts for 18 years? What about when the challenge is going on 30 years? See, because we look and some of us are facing challenges in our marriage or in our health, our work, our finances, relationships, parenting, and they can take a long time. We can be in it for the long haul. And I got thinking going, okay, if, if, if the challenge, so we could handle this if it was short, but it's when it just keeps going. Sometimes you, you can lose hope because the, you don't see the finish line. Like with a sprint, you can see it and you just fix your eyes on it and you just go. But sometimes in a marathon or all the time in a marathon, you can't just see the whole time. So you go, well, how do I, how do I stay in it for the long haul? How do I not give up? How do I keep pushing on mile after mile, year after year? And, and as I got thinking about this, I got thinking about something that Jesus said. Because there are things that are worth fighting for, but they, they take a long time. In Mark chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus is talking and he says about one group. He says, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And I just got thinking about if we don't have roots, then we don't last. And if you do any gardening, um, you'll know that something doesn't need a whole lot of roots if everything is perfect. If you've got super rich soil and a lot of water, a little bit of root goes a long way. But if conditions are harsh, it needs to have deep roots. The deeper the roots, the more harsh conditions it can handle. In fact, it can be really hot and pretty dry, but if those roots go down to an underwater source, that plant can flourish even though the things that are around it are really harsh. And in our life, our roots will determine what we can withstand. Our roots will determine how long we can withstand. And as I got looking, I said, okay, well, if, if my roots are going to determine whether or not I can continue to endure, whether I can endure a drought, whether I can endure this hard season, what roots do I need? And so we're going to look at a few different areas where you need some roots that will help you endure for the long haul, that will help you make the most of the challenges. And the first one, by hands down, John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine. I am, no, he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And he goes on in verse 4 and he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch, can, it's branch. the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he goes, if you want to bear fruit, you have to stay connected to me. The first root that you need is you need to be rooted in God. If you want to make it for the long haul, and so often in our culture, there is just this, I got this, I will pull myself up by my bootstraps, even if physics says it's wrong. Like just this idea that I can just do it on my own. But if you cut a branch off of a tree, do you realize that when you hold it out there, it doesn't really matter if it's a pear tree or apple tree or what kind of tree, it's not going to produce the fruit. 
the fruit's going to begin to dry up and wither up. But what's crazy is if you prune it, grab that branch really quick and hold it up, it looks okay. And that's how a lot of people are because they're disconnected. And they're like, in the really short term, I look okay. But in the long term, they're going to shrivel up and dry up because they're not connected to the source. And we have to stay connected. We have to make sure that we're finding our hope and our strength in him. And if you don't know Jesus, then you are going through life missing out. And I will give you an opportunity to to know him before I am done. But as I was looking at this, there is a term that's really popular in culture. And if you've heard about anyone getting burned out, um, and whether it's just culture or ministry, and I'm so much inside of ministry culture that I confuse the two, but this idea that people are getting burned out comes, out comes up a lot. You go, well, why are they getting burned out? And I think one of the easiest examples is a car. All of you guys are familiar with cars. And up until recently, all of them used gas. Um, now you got some that use electric. We're just going to leave you aside for a minute. You got your own issues. But um, <laughs> there's other challenges. But you're, you run out of batteries. But for the simple illustration... If your car gas light comes on, you are, are drying out. Your gas tank is drying out. When they say, use the term burnout, I think it's much better understood with dry out. See, when my tank goes on E, I have options. Number one, stop. Do nothing drive nowhere. Now, my car will be fine. But if I do that, it will never accomplish its purpose. And a lot of people, when they begin to dry out, their response is to lay their purpose aside and go, stop, the e-light came on, I will do nothing. Why? Well, I don't want to run out of gas. And in reality, when you're literally burned out, it is more catastrophic than just when you run out of gas. But do you know what the other option is? I'm sure you do because all of you that are over 16 or all of you that drive have done this at some point. You fill up. And if you fill up, then the fact that you were out no longer impacts you, right? It's this this simple thing, like, I'm out of gas, I put in more gas, and then I can go again. In our life, the problem is that a lot of people's output exceeds their input. And when you're running, or when your output continues to outpace your input, it's only a matter of time before you dry out. And a lot of people go, well, I'm just burned out. But if you look around, you can find somebody who is sustaining a higher output than them. And the difference is the input. And a lot of times we're sitting here going, well, I'm just running out. And you're like, I believe you. Then let's get rooted and let's get filled. And if I can continue to fill up, then I continue to pour out. I talk to to different people who preach and a lot of them are like, if I preach every week, they're like, that's a ton. And then you talk to my dad. 
Okay, my dad is a living legend, and you probably don't have a clue how much of a legend my dad is. Uh, because for years, it wasn't that he would preach every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night, as well as like five TV programs every week that he would do on top of that. But he has a folder that, that up front with hundreds to thousands of messages that he hasn't gotten to because he writes them faster than he can preach them. And then you know he never finishes one. And, and, and you laugh because he's like, oh, I made it to page 20. And you're like, yeah, you almost made it. There was 95 pages. It might help if the font is 25. But <laughs> nonetheless, you go, but why is his input so much higher or his output so much higher than theirs when they're complaining about burning out? Because he also, his input, he reads like three books a week. And then whenever he's driving, he doesn't let that time go to waste. There is input, there is sermons that are being poured in. And he is a man who is diligent in the word. His input is several times what theirs is. So even if his output is above theirs, he has a constant flow. And in our life, so often we go, I'm just empty. And that's a real thing. But our culture says, if you're empty, quick, do nothing. Turn on the TV and veg out. But turning on the TV and vegging out for most people, are not going to refill their tank. And what we need is to fill up with God, to fill up on his presence. Because when we do, then we can begin to overflow. And when we begin to overflow, we don't have our dry out issue anymore. Okay, the next route I want to mention, I'm, I'm going to try to make it through several of these, so I got to keep moving here. Um, we need to be rooted with vision. Uh, Florence Chadwick, uh, some of you guys may have heard of her, uh, but probably only if you are an athlete. But Florence Chadwick in 1952 was the first woman uh, to attempt to swim the Catalina Islands to California mainland. So depending on where you're at there, about 26 or 21 to 26 miles. And when she went to do this, Weather was not ideal, which apparently is quite common in this little stretch here. It was really, really foggy. Like you could see like three feet. It was a bit cold, but she was committed. She had a crew that was going to be in a boat beside her and make sure that she went straight, make sure that uh, there were sharks that she got pulled out. And if something went wrong and she swam for 15 hours and 55 minutes, and she'd been going for a while, and they're like, you got this, you got this. And after 15 hours and 55 minutes, she goes, I can't go on anymore. And, and they're like, you got this, you can do this. And she, she gave up. And so they, they hauled her in the boat. They don't want her to drown. She found out she was just over 200 yards from shore. And she says, if I could have seen the coast, I could have made it. But I couldn't see it. Uh, 
not that long later, she tried again. Once more, a thick fog set in. But this time she had a mental image of the shoreline in her mind as she pushed herself along. And not only did she succeed, but she ended up swimming, um, swimming an additional, not that day, but she's done it two more times after. But things changed when she could see it. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Uh, if you don't know where you're going, every turn looks good. If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter what you do. And this is where so many of us get caught up. It's life happens really fast. If you are really intentional, life happens really fast. If you are super unintentional, life happens really fast. And what happens so easily is one day just turns into the next, turns into the next, and you go, where are you going? You go, I don't know, but I'm getting there quick. Because the days just keep turning over, and when that happens, it can become very easy to lose sight of where you're going. And if you lose sight of where you're going, you lose the reason for restraint. You lose the reason for endurance. Because if you don't have a, a destination, you won't continue to push on. See, if you're raising your children and you go, you know what, I have a purpose. My purpose is <clears throat> that my children would know and love the Lord, that they would see God displayed in me and through me, and that my children would be men and women of God. Then there's going to come a point where you're going to have to discipline them. You're going to have to be intentional and you're going to have to have a hard conversation with them and you're going to have to do it in love and you're going to have to correct them and help show them. And you know what? That's a pain. For real. It is extra work to correct them correctly. It is easier to holler. It is easier to turn on the TV and say, quick, be quiet, there. It is easier to try to control their actions by your emotions that might get you the short-term result that you want, but not the long-term destination you want to get to. And this is true in parenting, but this is true in relationships. This is true all over the place that if we don't know where we're going, we won't put in the work to get there because we won't have the endurance. No one finishes a marathon if they're paying attention to how they feel. Do you feel like keep continuing on? No. But if they have a vision, if they have a goal, then they press on. Then, then they go, you know what? I can, I can do this. I have a destination. There's a finish line. I am going to succeed. And if in our life, <clears throat> we're looking ahead, it changes how we live. And it gives us the endurance to push through the difficult times. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He looked ahead. And he goes, I have a purpose. And it's you. And he goes, for you, I will do it. He didn't want to go to the cross. He prayed. He, said, he told God, God, I don't want to go to the cross. But if there's not another way, not my will, but yours be done. But if you've got another idea, cross doesn't sound good. But he goes, God, not my will, but your will be done. And he goes, how? Despising at shame, looking ahead, he goes, I will do this so you can be forgiven. I will do this so you can be right with God. He had a vision 
and it gave him endurance. When we have a vision, when we have a, I'm going to live to please God, my children are going to know God because this is, this is the kind of father that I'm going to be. Then when the temptation comes to go, I just want to yell at them, I'm going to go, no, that's not going to teach them what I want to teach them. I'm going to sit down and we're going to have a conversation. And it might be the 350th time I've said, this is why we don't hit. It might be, this is why you don't. And it might, I, if, you, if you have kids, you understand. You have the same conversation over and over and over and over. But if you, if you don't have a vision, you just get frustrated and you give up. But when you have a vision, and this is true if you're parenting, this is true if you want to be healthy. Because being healthy, like when you're 18, it can be kind of easy. But when you get beyond that, it takes intentionality. And you have to go, oh, but if I have a vision, then it's a lot easier to say, no, I don't need that third portion of dessert. Like, uh, maybe I'm the only one who had to struggle with the third or fourth portion. But uh, when you have a vision, it changes and it gives you endurance. When we look to God and go, God, I want you to have your way in me. God, this is my vision that I can begin to stand strong. Next, you need to be rooted in prayer. And I think this is one of the most underutilized gifts that we have. Americans are famous for praying over their food. Like, what's your prayer life before I eat? In fact, I don't even know if they're as, as known for that as they used to be. Now when somebody stops to pray for their food at a restaurant, people are like, what's going on? And they're like, I did that quick. I was like, thank God for the food. <laughs> why are you like hiding the fact that you're praying for your food? I'm like, well, I just didn't want to disrupt anybody. But, but prayer is so powerful and we don't often realize just how powerful it is. See, when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he knew what was coming, they didn't quite get it. He told them and they were like, huh? Like, for real. Sometimes he said stuff, but it didn't fit their set of expectations. And so it just went right over their head. Have you ever like told your kids something and they didn't understand? So they just looked at you like, what? Uh, that happened a lot with the disciples. He told them, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna rise again. And they're like, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And then when he died and rose again and people told them, they were like, say what? Well, the Pharisees set a guard because they remembered that he said he was going to rise again. Anyways, there was stuff they didn't get. And he kind of foretold that things were going to happen and they're still not getting it. And then he looks at them and he says this in Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In Jude 1.20, we're told, build yourself, um, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. And he goes, when you pray, you can begin to be strengthened for these difficult times, for these challenges, when the challenge keeps going. And some people, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you just a, a little a freebie on prayer. Because some people are praying wrong. Let me elaborate. They aren't praying 
they're complaining up. And, and, and here in Philippians chapter uh, 4, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. With what? Thanksgiving. Most people's prayers aren't with thanksgiving. They're with whining, griping, complaining, and accusation. God, why me? Are you trying to kill me? This is the worst day ever. I prayed. <laughs> what? You looked up while you was complaining. We're told in Philippians 2.14 to do everything without grumbling or, or arguing. In Matthew, or sorry, in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, when we recognize that God cares for us and that his desire for us is good, we can bring our request with thanksgiving. When we bring our request with thanksgiving, not only is it powerful and effective, but it also stirs and shifts our heart. And it says, problem, my God is bigger, my trust is in him. And my focus leaves my problem and turns to my God. And when it does, Philippians 4 verse uh, the, I just read it, seven and eight is the latter portion of that, says that his peace, that which surpasses understanding, fills your heart. But when we take the position of complaining upward, we aren't praying. In fact, the Israelites tried it. In fact, they did it a lot. And it says that they were testing God with their grumbling and complaints. In Numbers 14, they go through and God gave them a promise and said, I'm going to deliver the, this land to you. And their response was, we can't do that. We'd be better off dying in the desert. And they begin to grumble and complain. And God finally was like, you know what? You can have whatever you said. So for two of the Israelites, they said, we got this. God will deliver the promised land to us. And those two went into the promised land. All the others died in the desert, as requested. And I got thinking, if God was to give us exactly what we said as we prayed or complained, whatever it was that we did up, would that be the greatest blessing that ever happened to you or the worst thing that ever happened to you? Do you just look up, God, my wife is! And then fill in the blank with all the things that you really don't want? Or is this the spot where you're like, God, I thank you. I thank you that though the doctor may have given me a negative report, that you, your name is above every name and that cancer has no right in my body. God, I thank you that my wife is awesome. And even if she made a mistake, that she has a heart that wants to do what's right and that we're going to get through this. God, I thank you. And we can begin to pray. We can begin to thank God. and We can navigate through this and find peace in him. Or we can sit there and complain up and walk around in our mess. Because when I tell God about my problem, my focus is still on my problem. When I tell my problem about my God, my eyes shift off my problem and onto God. I get a peace and I get an endurance that will see me through. I wanted to make sure to get to this one. So we need, we need to be rooted in prayer. We need to be rooted in God's people. 
the people that are around you will affect your endurance on a massive level. There are some people that you can gather around you and they will, they will cheerlead you to the finish and others will cheerlead you to the couch. You're like, it's hard. They'll be like, sit down, take a break. I'm not going anywhere. Why are you? And there are others that will get in there with you and they will go, what is this? How, what, how, how can I pray with you? And you're like, I was just here to complain. Bad idea. How are we going to pray? You got issues at your home? All right. Let's pray. And, and you find people that will hold you up. See, there, there's this amazing story in Exodus chapter 17. God is, is working with the Israelites and he's bringing them towards the promised land and there's a battle that they're going to face. And so Moses tells Joshua, hey, I'm going to go up on the top of this mountain with the staff of God. You go and lead the army and, and fight and God's going to deliver them to our hand. So he goes up on top of the mountain and this is, this is weird, but this is common. When God does stuff, he partners with people and it is disproportionate his role versus your role, but your role is important if you want to see his role come to pass. You lay your hands on the sick and, they, and, God, and pray and God heals. My role is pretty simple. Like, I think all of us have the ability to do this. Right? This is pretty easy. But when I put my faith in God and I do this as an act of faith, God's role is much harder than my role, but he's waiting for me to step out in my part. And you can look through the Bible and you'll see all of these different spots where God wanted to do a miracle, but he was waiting for someone to partner with him and their part could be stupid. It's like, what are you going to do? Lift a stick and he split the Red Sea. Somebody was in, in lack and he said, here, go get jars. And as many jars as they got, he filled with oil. When Jesus made the water into wine, he told them to fill the things with wine, with, wine, with water. That's something natural that they could do. He did something supernatural that they couldn't do. So back to our short story. I get distracted. So Moses is up there on the mountain. He discovers that when he lifts the staff of God, they start winning the battle. When he puts it down, they start losing. So he's like, sweet. But now, if you ever tried to hold something up for a long time, the stick isn't that heavy. It's not that hard for a sprint. But for a marathon, this gets hard and the battle is going all day. And so he stands there and he holds his hands up and he holds his hands up and, he holds, and then he gets really tired. In fact, he gets so tired, he's like, I just can't. But every time he puts his hands down, they start to lose. So two guys come up beside him and they pull up a rock. That's a little bit harder than pulling up a chair. But I don't know, they roll it, they pull it up. But they get him a rock and he sits down on the rock and they help pull up his hands. And I don't know if they just stood there like this, if they're like, hey, if you sit down, then we can stand beside you like this and you can rest it on our shoulders. I'm, I'm thinking they, hopefully they were smart and just kind of pounded us out going, then we're stable and we can hold it up all day and we've got your back and God's going to move. You need those people in your life. And we need to look at the people in our life and go, do I have people who are going where I want to go? Do I have people who will cheer me on? And, and it's amazing even if neither of you are all the way there, you can do so much. Uh, 
my, my, Pastor Tim is my friend, and uh, he decided he wanted to work out with somebody, and everyone he kept getting to work out, he had to drag them to work out. I said, said I need someone who I don't have to drag. I said, show up at my house, game on. And, uh, but we were busy. So the only time that we could find that we could work out was when we were supposed to be sleeping. But there's this wonder when you've got somebody who's got your back, somebody who's counting on you, it changes what you'll do. And it's been, a, uh, last week was a little bit of a long week, but one of the other guys who's going to show up didn't, couldn't show up. He was out of town. So he's like, hey, we're going to sleep in. So instead of working out at 4.30 in the morning, we're going to work out at 5 in the morning. And he shows up and we hop on the exercise bikes and we're talking. He just looks at me and goes, I did not want to work out this morning. I did not want to come this morning. Like, honestly, I wanted to sleep this morning too. Hmm. All right, let's go. <laughs> but it, it's amazing that even when he didn't feel like it, he knew that someone had his back. He knew that someone was counting on him. And when you get people around you that will inspire you in something, they will push you so much further. Uh, I, I, I normally, I've been getting into biking this last uh, nine months or so, and I'm having a lot of fun with it, but most of my rides are like an hour or less. And then like a week ago, I went and rode with my dad, whose normal rides are like two hours. And so I rode with him, and so I went the, the two and a half hours, whatever, or two hours and whatever minutes it was for 40 miles that we'd rode. But at like 33 miles, my legs were like, uh, you are beyond your normal time. I'm like... Uh, I got like 30 years on him. I, I, I need to keep up. <laughs> no giving up. And on the hills, he beat me. I was like, oh. And then Tuesday we rode again. I'm like, ah, I'm going to, you're not going to beat me today. <laughs> but it was amazing. I went further because I had somebody with me. And I'm riding, trying to ride on Fridays with BJ because BJ is a beast. You get that man on a bike and something is wrong. And like, I was going and I was racing and I was like, hit a sprint and I'm like, this is the fastest I have ever sprinted on a bike in my life. And he's just like, boom, what just happened? But I watched as it pulled me along. I watched as my ability keeps expanding because the people that I have gathered around me encourage me and push me forward. Now in, in the biking, it's great. It's, it's good for my health. It's good for my competitive nature and I'm enjoying it. But in your life, you need people that will encourage you and inspire you in your faith. You need people like Jason. You need people like Carson. You need these different people in your life like Tim who you'll have the conversations with who'll go, hey, what'd you get out of God's word today? Hey, this is what I've been praying for. Hey, this is what God did in my life. And when you start having these conversations, they begin to spur you on. They begin to encourage you. And then when you have a moment and you go, you know what? Hey, I hit a problem. Maybe my kid's going through it. Maybe my marriage is going through it. Maybe it's something that's going on at work. Maybe it's a report that comes from the doctor, you go through and you go, hey, I'm struggling. And those friends grab you. They pick you up and they go, all right, well, let me take you back to those things that you're supposed to be rooted in. Let me take you back to prayer. Let me take you back to God's word. Let me take you back to him because your problem may be big, but your God is bigger. Let's stand together. Let's face him. Let's pick you up and let's go. <clears throat> if, if you get those people in your life, they will push you through those difficult moments. They will push you on when it lasts longer than you thought.
you need those people in your life. There, there's, you need, there, there's, there, are, there are more things that you can be rooted in that will help you endure. You can be rooted in God's house. You can be rooted um, in God's word. And there's some things that you can prune. But if we'll do these, these simple things, if we will grow roots in these areas, it will give us endurance. But as we started, said the most important root that you're going to put in is being rooted in him. And if you're here, you may know all about God. You may have been at church lots. Maybe this is your first time. But if you're not rooted in him, I want to give you an opportunity today to go, today, I'm going to be rooted. Today, I'm going to make him my Lord. Today, I'm going to know that I'm right with him. I'm going to turn my life towards him. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If that's you and you want to be rooted in him, you want to make him the Lord of your life and be in a relationship with him, then when I can say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Get ready. One, you can know that you're right with him. Two, three, go ahead and raise up your hands. That's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. See your hand and your hand and your hand. Who else is? That's me most important decision that anyone's ever going to make. Another one over here. If you're watching online, you can just type it in the chat. Type in, that's me. Another one in the back over there. Awesome. We're going to say a simple prayer. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's what we're going to do. So whether you've done this before or you raise your hand this evening, say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I choose to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.